everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside riding or running, I'm probably inside writing about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk about all different types of movements and to the people that do all different types of movements. Good job. <laughs> so I kept it short this you week. You did. Short and yeah. sweet. It actually almost caught me by surprise, to be totally honest. It's like, oh boy, he's done. Um, anyway, what uh, what's up? Well, we are still in Girona, but we are through our first of two big camps. So we're recovering and bracing for the second one. We have a women's gravel camp coming up. We're very excited. A bunch of clients are coming over uh, to ride gravel. So after a bunch of road riding this past month, we're back on the, the dirt off the road. Yeah, I'm super excited to get the knobby tires back on my bike. That was that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. A little, little more gravel, I guess. A little more off road. A little mm-hmm. smaller. A little, little less climbing. Yeah, and this one's an adult one as well, so different dynamic as well. Yeah, I'm really interested in how this one's gonna go. I'm, ex- I'm excited for it. Um, and yeah, really thankful that we got to spend the last month working with some really awesome young, young men and women. And I had, you know, a few young women who were just awesome riding buddies and. Yeah, had a really good time, you know, getting to chat with them about training and life and, you know, really kind of the Shred Girls in real life ethos. Yes. As it were. Yes. And your saddle sore book came in handy a few times. Oh, there yeah. Concepts from that book taken out. Yes. And fuel your ride. It's like I've been writing books my whole life right. for camps like this. Right. And did you write any articles in the last week or so? I guess we haven't done a Q&A in a while, but what have you written? Anything of note? Any oh more Twitter gosh. upsets? Well, I don't... Did we even talk about the Twitter upset oh, on I don't here? Know. Yeah. If anyone missed it, I accidentally started some serious drama on Twitter a couple weeks back. Um, I got sort of uh, chased up a hill by a guy on an e-bike who just kind of stayed not like directly on my wheel like a bike length back and followed me up a very very long climb for like 45 minutes and while most people agreed that this was inherently creepy behavior because he had to keep adjusting the governor on the bike to stay that way um, there were definitely a few people who said that somehow I'm a bad person for not letting him or being annoyed that this guy was electing to silently right. stay behind me for an entire ride yeah, it was one of those those things that there's perspective that I guess, depending on the situation and what you're picturing, it's it's okay or it's not okay, right? It's one of those gray area things in some ways. Yeah. That, like drafting is okay in cycling, but are you allowed to draft someone randomly on the street? Is it different when it's a man and a woman? Is it a different with an e-book or e-book, an e-bike? An e-book would be also, also odd if you're holding that, but... Uh, yeah, so it's it's one of those things that there's all these like layers of of things, right? And well, and I think you actually really helped me because I ended up writing an article for Bicycling about it, and I'll we'll link to that in the show notes. But um, Peter kind of urged me to add the mention of um, to to get some. Well, I'll, I'll say I had to get some men to actually understand where I was coming from with it to say like picture your wife or your daughter or you know sister or just any young woman you know in that like in that situation and. Tell me if you'd be totally okay with it. Yeah, I think that's, you know, if we're thinking about, you know, a, a competent, you know, experienced female cyclist and, you know, you're picturing like, you know, a, a non-creepy, like, 
you know, cyclists and they're just like windy day and they draft and that's as different than, you know, sort of creepy man and like younger girl who's like, you know, maybe lost or something too. Right. So it's, I mean, uh, this, this article made me put my weight on the internet. So like, that's how seriously I took this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, right? It's, it's a tough one, but, uh, not, but, not but so really tough, not so tough be. in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyhow, you did that, but did you do anything else on the, the internet this, this week? Um, I mean, yes, but a lot. So it's kind of hard to even, even kind of pull it all together, actually. We've been working on a few really exciting things that are going to kind of come to fruition in the next couple months, though. So I think a lot of behind-the-scenes work going on at, we'll call it, uh, Consummate Athlete Headquarters. Um, and, of course, gearing up toward the speaker series that we're having in Collingwood in April. So April 18th up in Collingwood, about 90 minutes north of Toronto. Um, if you haven't checked it out, you can go to theoutdooredit.com slash speaker hyphen series to get all the details. But picture this podcast, but in, like, 10 minute uh guest interviews almost yeah and Uh, you can see a list of the speakers on there there's a pretty good range of people yeah so that's pretty exciting and coming up way faster than i expected i can't believe we're actually recording this in march now yeah march is here already so we have a few questions sort of in line with the time of year this uh episode and then we also have a couple injury things and yeah, so a good, good mix. So thank you for those questions. You can always reach it to us on the social medias or there's a contact form at consummateathlete.com as well uh, to submit or, or even just to follow up to your own question or, or uh, someone else's question. Perfect. All right. Well, let's start with the, the injury one first since the others I'm going to say all kind of relate to each other a little bit. Okay. Um, so this guy wanted to know uh, if it's possible to unload your upper body with bike position. Um, due to an elbow injury. So he's trying to not have a lot of weight on his upper body. Yeah, and I can't remember the exact details on this, but I don't think there was any major uh, like trauma to the elbow. Uh, so I believe I had suggested, you know, looking at, you know, just even shoulder, elbow health and, and getting assessed, certainly, right? If you could get in to see a physio or an osteo, you know, there might be something independent of the bike setup we can certainly use things in in bike setup and position that are going to help especially if that's you know you're fine if you don't ride your bike and then you have you know searing elbow pain every time you ride your bike then that's you know a little more obviously going to be related to bike setup or position. what we in the biz call a red flag <laughs> yeah i mean I, I mean i guess a more direct uh causation so uh, certainly you could raise up your handlebars in a variety of ways. You can raise the stem. You can raise the uh, steepness of the stem. You could shorten the stem and, you know, try and put more weight onto your your saddle and your feet, basically, right? Now that's going to be a trade-off because you could end up with pain in the butt or the feet um, and then also may compromise steering and stuff. But a lot of riders, especially on the road, will have their bars too too low, right? Like we're not racing in the tour, aerodynamics, you know, a lot of us aren't set up uh, in terms of mobility to ride really well in a super aerodynamic position. So you're better to optimize for power and comfort because those are things that are going to be performance enhancing. On the note of comfort, it's a pretty minor thing, but if it's not like a major injury, a couple things to maybe look at are a cushier bar tape and a padded glove even because some yeah. of it might just be some vibration that's 
you Could know be. handlebars are shooting vibrations up your arm and even then like um they make um compression arm warmers so even something like that that could, could. sort of yep. dampen some vibration could be a thought sure yeah and I, I think that's a good like often thinking above and below is a great way to look at things often we'll like roll our our quads or our knee or it band if it's sore right uh, but then often that like knee pain, which might be, you know, related to that IT band along the side of your thigh might be actually coming from your lower leg, your foot or up, you know, at your hip, your butt uh, sort of area. Right. So similar in your upper arm, you have your hand, your wrist, your forearm, all those muscles get really tight. You know, we're running mouse or mice and our, our phones and all this stuff all day. And then you're gripping your handlebar, maybe gripping your brakes really, really hard, which then does influence that elbow joint and the shoulder joint. Uh, so I would check in on that. I think in line with Molly's thought around the hands is, are you braking with one finger or are you like maybe braking with too many fingers, especially if it's a mountain bike, that's a, a common thing where the grip becomes really odd. Like you're gripping with your small fingers and your, your two strong fingers that your ring finger and your index finger aren't doing as much. So that could be a factor. So again, when we're talking bike position as much as we're talking about, uh, like your bike fit. Uh, so we talked about raising the handlebars. We talked about, what else did I have in that as far as bike setup? I don't know if there was a ton else. Uh, and then shoulder. So we're looking at sort of mobility and things around the shoulder then for our above the elbow. Uh, and I would definitely like you see that a lot, like weird things where our shoulders are rolled forward and then we end up with, you know, neck, hand, numbness, whatever. Um, I should say hand numbness, you know, related or neck pain. So in that line, I had given this person a couple links to Molly's yoga and some of our core stuff that hopefully get your arms above your head maybe a bit more. Again, we're all just holding our phones and our computer keyboards and then our handlebars. So those arms don't go above the head very often. So working on do we have that range of motion and mobility uh, and you know proper function of that shoulder joint. Uh, a good resource, and they're actually doing a 14-day mobility challenge right now on uh, what was Mobility Watch is now called the Ready State. Uh, so you can go to readystate.com. They have a great app that they've redone just recently. Um, and again, you can try it for 14 days for free, which may be all you need even. Uh, but they have this challenge going on with 14 days of mobility. And then on the app, they have, if you have elbow pain, and then they take you through like a, a series of mobility drills. Uh, and it's really, really well done. So a few clients have really, like, we've gotten out of hamstring, we've gotten out of a knee. Um, and, and sometimes it's in, you know, partnership with a osteo, with a physio, with a chiro, whatever. But this is helping, you know, you do some daily maintenance, right? You can't expect your chiro to help you every two weeks, right? When you're you're a person every day of the week. So we'll link to that, but it's the Ready State app. You'll find it in your thing. Sign up. It's pretty cheap. I subscribe myself and I have no allegiances to it aside from Kelly is a, a great resource in person. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, I think one thing you mentioned is actually a bike fit and yeah. you know, it sounds like such a, a silly thing when you're talking about elbow, but if you think about kind of coming back to your everything could be linked, you know, if you're tilted a little bit to the right and, you know, now maybe one elbow is bent at like a slightly different degree yeah. or like shifted a little bit and now it's like turned out a little bit more or turned in a little bit more. Yep. Like all of that stuff can, you know, really over time add up. So. Yeah. So, I mean, going and getting a, a bike fit when you are a person who is, you know, has experienced saddle sores, knee pain, all this stuff, it is a, a good idea. I think it's well supported by the literature and just looking for someone who, you know, you've ha you know, people who have had good success with uh, and it seems pretty well versed in stuff. I, I would also look for someone who's aware of maybe a couple different 
things like they're not just a, a specialized or a retool or something they've got like some experience with different types of fitting and then also some sort of awareness of off bike mobility and like are you a healthy human as much as like they're going to fit you to your bike also sort of encouraging you to move better yeah i've always said if your bike fit starts on the bike you're already like leaving a ton on the table there should be at least some kind of movement assessment before you're on the bike and pedaling with them watching yeah, and I mean, you've done, Scott Kelly is a good friend of ours in Dundas, Ontario. He travels around the world, though, so maybe you could convince him to come to you. Um, and he does all our national team or like cyclocross stuff as well. Uh, so he's great, and he's got a little Dundas speed shop, a little boutique shop in Dundas. So if you're in the that area. Um, but you've done stuff with him, and it's there's a bunch of off-bike, and then also you've done stuff with like Trek, like corporate, basically, and they have like a massage table that they start you on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think the first hour of the bike fit at the Trek factory was completely off-bike. Okay. And I also put the offer to this particular person as well. Like if, if you're in some place, you can't get to it, you can't afford, I'm definitely open to do sort of a Skype phone consult. We can do a series of photos and videos and sort of just see where you're at. Um, so those will be linked in the show notes as well, but ideally you can get to between that app we mentioned to your local physio, to your local bike fitter uh, and try and do things. And there's one other thing I forgot to mention as far as position, if you're a super flexy person and we saw this, we have a couple people at the camp we were just at too, um, the tendency to really lock out your arms, like almost like you're, you're displaying how double jointed you are in the elbow and ride like that, which sounds odd in theory, but there's a lot of people that their resting position is like, if you just extend your arm right now in front of you uh, and think about like holding your handlebar, but like really trying to like lock out your elbow, some people will find like, like that's their most relaxed, not relaxed is what I mean, but like, you know what I mean? Like that's where they're getting stability is by locking their elbow joint completely straight. Which is going to be quite jarring to all those muscles and and joints, especially, right? So, I would just check in that are you like able to? I, in mountain bike, we talk elbows out. You might be a person who needs to use the cue elbows out a bit more, even if you're a road cyclist, uh, and, and start building a bit of strength, right? And it does. It takes a bit of tricep strength. It takes you know some some muscular activation to do that. Uh, but we want to be strong and and not sort of biasing towards that end range of the joint because that doesn't let us sort of like the sag in your suspension, right? We want to be able to push, but if you've extended your arm completely, there's no option to push. You can only sort of pull back, right? So Right. Awesome. All right. Well, good luck with the elbow pain. Let us know how it goes or if any of these suggestions actually help. And, you know, we were talking specifically about elbow, but I think a lot of those pretty much sure. apply to any sort of on bike. Yeah, you can do a lot for yourself for sure. Yeah. All right. Next up, um, is your goal too hard? Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) If you have to ask. Next question. Yeah. Uh, So this is a question that just kind of comes up a lot or, or, you know, it doesn't come up and it's kind of an awkward conversation between an athlete and a coach, right? So, you know, I'll give the example of, you know, someone who's kind of off the couch and is like, all right, I want to do a triathlon. I'm going to do an Ironman. Mm-hmm. but have never swam like outdoors uh only does the occasional spin class and did like a 5k five years ago but they've signed up for an iron man in 10 months uh, they have a lot of big projects at work they're uh, expect that their wife is expecting uh, a new baby in in march right yeah there can be a lot of factors yeah so there's there's your like example person 
Well, and yeah, this could be, you know, I was just in a bit of a discussion in a coach group I'm part of and they had someone had a new client come and the client like already was signed up for this triathlon um, or I think it was an Ironman or a 70.3, but like a big one, a, di- a long distance try. And they had very little to no experience in like any of the sports. Uh, so the discuss it was sort of this coach asking like what do i do basically right because it's a weird moment for a coach right on one hand you want to be there for you know this new client and be supportive and excited for them that they're excited about their new goal but on the other hand ethically you have to be at least a little bit honest with the client and you know get across that this is a maybe not an impossible goal but it's gonna take a ton of work and it probably isn't doable well, yeah, and as a coach, right, like you you don't really want to demotivate people. Uh, so if someone's excited about this, right, and has set this big ambitious goal, you want that to be inspiring for them to make some sort of, you know, behavior change and start taking some action to move towards that goal. The The trouble is when you get into like the timeline is short and the goal is, is very ambitious, right? So usually the way in the coaching side of things, the way it's sort of discussed is, okay, you can lay out like what's required, what are the milestones along the way. Um, but, you know, the the one, the example client from this coaching group was they basically couldn't ride outside. They hadn't used really clipless pedals very much or at all. Like they were falling over with clipless pedals, like very beginner cyclist not swimming like i would say even less than when i tried to do when i did an iron man without doing a triathlon like swimming was my weak link but we can all point out there's a huge difference between you and the person we just described well I, and i'm trying to sort of give this as maybe illustrative is that like i had run a road marathon and was like decent at running and the cycling part was not an issue at all uh and then the swimming was just like that was going to take me a year to get decent at right so in in a lot of ways like the two riskiest parts of the triathlon are, are in in terms of like and the time they take up even right in Ironman weren't a big deal and I had a fair bit of time but if you take this back to like you have to learn how to swim learn how to ride build any sort of endurance you know for any of the sports then this is a big challenge right and, and the 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 thing is that you want this person to be inspired to make behavior change, to start exercising, to learn the new sport, to build those skills. And so what we would hope is that we could maybe say, okay, well, could we put that as a a two, three, four year goal and then work through, you know, some bike events, some run events, you know, some swim milestones, you know, focus on the skill of each sport Uh, You know, we could certainly sign up for smaller triathlon events, maybe some team triathlon events, just so there's something in our under our belt. Right. And we've started accumulating the skills and the behaviors. The trouble thing is when it's it's like you're already signed up and you're you're there. Right. So I don't know. So what do you do? What do you do when you've signed up for the, the big goal and, you know, suddenly you're realizing this isn't realistic? I've had a few clients where we did make the decision to defer it and focus on like something that they were very confident because I think as you start having the discussion, you realize that they sort of, they either know they're not going to finish, which is okay. Like you could go to an event and I had, I guess 
I'm trying to think how to go through this logically. So we could have three options. They're okay with just not finishing. They want to go and experience the event. And then the long-term goal is that we're going to someday finish the event, but they want to go see the thing. There may be a friend's going and they understand that like, there's a good chance in this triathlon example, they're going to, they may not even make the swim cutoff. So like their day could be over whatever the swim cutoffs like two fifteen or something. Right. So that could be their day. And, and we need to prepare for that. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess in some ways it'd be interesting training. You'd almost have to like make sure that the swim went through so that they could get out on the bike. And then that would be like, see how far you can make it anyhow. So you could see how far you can make it. And that's year one's goal. So if they're okay with that, with the like not finishing and not looking at that as a failure, but now we have a benchmark in this event, then I think in, in principle that should be fine. There's lots of people who go to the Ironman and finish don't like get cut off at some point early in the bike or in the swim. So the second option would be to defer. So a lot of events do let you sort of say, ah, you know, life isn't working out. I'm going to come next year. And I think they make, they just keep your money till the next year or something. Uh, This is especially with events that have a big waiting list where it's not going to be a big deal for them to, yeah, like they're not losing anything. And then I know with something like Dirty Kanza is a gravel event that's 200 miles, but they definitely have a 100 mile, maybe a 50, I'm not sure. Uh, So a smaller event, right? And I think that those, I often end up calling them like the speedier events, but some of those are just so good. And I have a few clients that we've done the same thing. You know, we want to do the 200 mile in the future and that was on the table, but we said, we're going to do a really good job on the hundred mile and, you know, be done in a decent time in the day. You can go watch the big finishes and they have a few friends going And I think that's going to be an awesome day. And I'm like, just, I'd love if you do really well and you get on the podium even, and you're like, you know what? I could have kept going or something. Right. And I also enjoy that in this scenario, the hundred miler is like the easy option. Well, again, again, we all get into this where we forget what we can achieve and what we are doing. Yeah. And I mean, I think there, there is just such a distance endurance bias in our, in our world, in our circles. Um, so we were talking before we started recording this, you know, this, this fall, I had a couple of races where I opted to do the short version, like the 5k when there was a 50k on the table, or I've actually opted to do a 50k when the 50 miler is like the big the race premier, of the day. Yeah. Um, but the reason for that is because that fits better with my current goals and training and all of that stuff. And, you know, it's a little hard sometimes to be at the race and like, knowing that you could probably win the 50k but you're signed up for the 5k um but that was at, the 5k was harder like the 5k meant that i actually had to do you know 120 percent and mm-hmm. really push in a different way than i'd been for 50ks and i wanted to make sure we did mention when your coach david roche was on and he's super positive guy but super smart and his training even though it's for a lot of these people doing 50k 50 mile 100 mile and more the ultra like off-road disciplines it's very speed oriented and very quality oriented right Mm -hmm. i I always joke that you're always doing strides but like you're always doing 30 seconds as fast basically as you can go with good form sprinkled through the run and then otherwise running pretty easy but he often gets like a little annoyed which i understand he wouldn't say annoyed i i would say i get annoyed yeah he would Um, not say annoyed you know when you guys go and you do like these fun social runs but they're like getting up into the like you know, 20K, 30K, 40K. And he's like, yeah, come on. Come on. Why are you going so... 
right? And it's because this sacrifices consistency, right, over time. And like what you can do consistently will keep growing if you're smart about it. But if you keep just drilling 40k runs in midweek, right, it's gonna it's gonna sacrifice. So, in line with that, he when he was on, you guys were sort of joking half a little bit, but like you sort of mentioned Leadville 100, big like gravel or not gravel, big uh, running race, obviously. And he was like, in three years, four years, that's great. But like, we need to 50K this year, you know, 50 mile, whatever, next year, step up. I'd like everyone to know that at no point during that episode was I like, I definitely want to do Leadville in 2020. (laughs) I did not even know. So David and I were just like, so three years, perfect. Yeah, I didn't know I wanted to do Leadville. (laughs) Well, make sure Um, you own your goals. But you've even found this year that you were like, I sort of like this 50K and like, I wonder how fast I can go. And you got really psyched when you went under five, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And the speed is nice, right? And so there's there's that. So I thought that was a great, your 5K run, even though the 10K was an option. You know, 5K is really hard. Yeah, as it turns out. <laughs> right? And, and I mean, any of these races, you're getting social media. People like that you're on a podium and, oh, you beat the guys and all this stuff, right? And it's, you could have done longer. So I think that's that's a really good note that like often we assume the only metric we have is that more volume or more racing distance is better but i think there's a lot to be said for like speed and athleticism and you know gradual (laughs) progression even over time right where we're not getting injured we're not getting sick um you know we're learning the skills of our sport Um, and if you look at any of these, you know, the two hour marathon now is like, we've progressed the human body to this, towards this two hour marathon, the people that are going to be able to do it, they're always talking about, oh, what are their 5,000 or their 5k and their 10k, right? They're looking for these people who have the speed that then can, as they get older, get lengthened out. Right. And I think that's what we want to be watching is that we are building speed and like athleticism right? This could be speed skill. You know, this could be, um, I just was doing a bunch of reading and and listening about, uh, what is this like short course triathlon? So again, applicable to our first example. And I think everyone forgets short course triathlon. And they were just talking about like how important this, the speed of the running, you know, the tactics of the running. Tell you what, when I first started in triathlon, which is how I got into any cycling or running, I got so teed off for the first couple of years because Inevitably, if you said you did triathlon, someone would be like, oh, so you've done Ironman. And you're like, well, no. And they're like, oh, so you're not really a triathlete. Right. You're like, no, I'm a fast triathlete. Yeah, I really like the am. Olympic discipline is is these shorter things, right? But they have corners in the in the biking and the transitions are super, super fast, like super important. Not, you know, in the long course, it doesn't matter as much. Um, so and you can train for them on limited time and actually like train well for them on limited time, I think is the really important part. Like, sure, so. you can. Yeah, you the can volume's s- less maybe important. But. Yeah, like you can squeeze in, you know, training for most things on a pretty limited mm-hmm. time, you know, schedule or whatever. But I think with, you know, when you're talking short course or 5K or anything like you can actually do really good high level training, even if you only have like six hours a week. Mm-hmm. in a way that's just you can't do if dirty kansas 200 is your goal so i think just don't like feel that your friends are going to pick on you if you if you do push that out into a two and three year uh time span right and like think about how how like badass and like i mean in shape for lack of a better term you can be in two years versus 
slamming it all into one. Right, right. And, and hopefully you make it that far, right? Again, this is sort of a hedge that you're going to continue to build those skills and habits and be healthy without getting, you know, a knee injury or, you know, someone saying, oh, you shouldn't squat anymore. You shouldn't run anymore, you know. And I think anyone listening to this podcast isn't really thinking about crossing the finish line and then just like being done with athletics. I think, you know, anyone listening to this, the the race is all well and good, but it's also more about the lifestyle and like the long term. So mm-hmm. two years is not a long time to wait to race. If we're talking about then for the next 40 odd years or however long you're going to be yeah. in like a good racer. And I guess that gets to the heart. You know, I'm just trying to ask more when we're when I have goal discussions with people what is the goal you know where are you now who are you but then the next part is sort of that like can you prepare for the goal so this is do you have the time do you have the resources you know are you going on family vacation you know the the week before or the month before you'd be surprised how often that happens Uh, but then also do you want to prepare for this race like you signed up for dirty Kansas so in the three months before that or Leadville do you want to run or ride on gravel roads, you know, for extended periods of time? You know, are you going to be able to get to gravel roads and spend extended period of time? Um, you know, and a lot of people don't. They want to go do criterium races or ride indoors or do group rides on the road or something, right? And it's just, it's not how the specific event is, but there's sort of this this thing, right? And similar with triathlon, right? If someone's they need to cross off that one bucket thing. It does get back to like, what are the habits? What are the the practices? What are the skills that we're building by doing this? How are we failing forward? Right. Do we, if we do well or not in the race, cause it could go either way. Some of these things are pretty big expeditions with a lot of possible risk, possible, you know, possibility of failure. How can we fail forward to, to success? Right. If, 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 I didn't finish that Ironman. I probably wouldn't have bothered with another one because I already could swim. And that was the only goal. No, I like to think about like instead of the race itself, it's more like who is the person that I want to be after the race? Like who do I want to become from the race? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, more often that's that's what motivates me versus any real result. Well, and certainly there's the Ironman burnout, right? Uh, Where after the Ironman... You just don't know what to do with your life. Right. Because most people it's been, especially when you're, it's getting more serious, we're going to Hawaii or, you know, age group champion, whatever. Um, We, you know, it's all encompassing full on. And so like, it's amazing that people do it, but we forget what is next after that. And a lot of times there can be like pretty severe, like people come off of that and just never like the exercise they become like, they just don't exercise anymore even. Right. So I don't know that that's, that is what our long-term goal is. So I think in this, you know, dirty Kansas example, or even the triathlon example, could we push that out for three years, not be in a rush to it and just try and like push things that way by doing local, you know, speed triathlons or speed gravel races. Uh, and maybe one or two that are a little longer that are local and easy. Or again, you could do this as like your own triathlon at home probably too, right? Yeah. Before I did my first Ironman, I spent a season doing all 70.3s, but I didn't do any official ones. I just did local ones that were in New Jersey. And I mean, there were dozens I could have picked from. I did, I think, three that were within half an hour from my house. Mm. So it's pretty awesome what's what's locally available for most of us that we kind of miss when we're thinking about like the Leadvilles and the Kansas and the Konas. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I often think too with these long things, probably the last thing I have, I guess, is you you mentioned doing, you know, the seventy dot sixes or, you know, if you were doing the half Iron Man you do a lot of your preparation races would be in that Olympic or what is the other one called? Olympic, like short course triathlon sprint, sprint um, to prepare, right? So usually you sort of are down one or two distances from that, that event. If you're doing dirty Kansas, you're going to do shorter races. You're not going to do like a bunch of hundred and 200 necessarily. Um, and, and so I often think about like elite marathoners not doing many right i've mentioned meb's book i think it's called 26 marathons or something and he like had only like his entire career was 26 marathons and he was like he is one of the best marathoners of all time like 26 total over i think it was 15 or 16 years he actually went pretty late um as a marathoner as a, a male elite athlete yeah that's pretty crazy actually so he had raced a lot of 5,000 and 10,000 indoors and, you know, outdoor, whatever, shorter ones, half marathons and so forth. But, you know, this is a guy who's running two hours and change marathons and 26. Yeah. So. All right. I think that that sums it up. If you have more goal questions, it's obviously one of our favorite topics. So feel free to feel free to keep asking those. Um, this next one. OK, I'm not going to lie. I, I sort of wrote this one. Because, uh, you know, we're, we're hosting a training camp this week. We hosted one for the past month. Um, and I know a lot of people right now that are signed up for whether it's, cl- you know, day-long clinics, weekend clinics, long weekends, full weeks. Um, and I kind of wanted to just pose the question of how can I maximize what I get out of a training camp um, as, as, like, the client going to a training camp? Because I think what we've seen in the past month even is people, you know, leaving a lot on the table as far as what they could gain from a camp. Yeah, I think you almost have two different types of people and there's a, a spectrum, a range between. But there's the underprepared fitness wise, but like their bikes in good shape and stuff. And then you have the like really like fit people, but their bikes are not super well prepared. Um, and again, there's combinations thereof. Uh, but I think having your bike prepared and then being prepared adequately so that the camp isn't like a complete kick in the face. Um, so you can sort of thrive off of that camp versus getting, you know, often I you want to thrive, not survive is a way to think about a training camp. Yeah. And that sounds that sounds a little bit on the self-serving side with like the show up with your bike in good condition. But honestly, it costs you a lot more time, money and stress than it does to the coaches. Um, you know, the coaches, I mean, I just have to take you to a bike shop. Yeah, exactly. It's just going to cost money. And you know, you're the one that's going to end up missing out on rides or having like the shifting that isn't working. Yeah. Well. We had a t- couple girls, I shouldn't say girls, but people at the camp cause it was both. Um, and they, yeah, they, the gear is like something they were, you know, sticky or something was worn out. We had a worn chain. I had a worn chain. Well, you wore your chain out during the, during the <laughs> camp. Um, but it needed to be replaced, right? And so you replace that before you wear out everything else. Uh, but then also just shifter cables and stuff. Just stuff that, you know, the, the sh- on a road bike, you can sort of run it forever until you can't, right? And and that's once you start going to a place, probably it's going to have hills and you're going to be riding a lot, right? And the bike starts getting pushed to its limits that maybe it, it hasn't seen. You know, if you live in a flat city area, you probably aren't like cranking on your chain, you know, as hard. And then that's when, again, things start going so 
Yeah. And I think, you know, the other way I would think about maximizing a training camp is actually before you come or, you know, on your way here to said camp would be actually think about your goals for the week. Um, you know, and it might include have fun or check out the new city or, you know, get, get out shopping for a day. Or it might be, you know, to, you know, get to practice a really specific thing, like get better at cornering or get more confident with descending or figure out what the heck my heart rate zones are. Um, so think about your goals for the camp and questions that you have, because, you know, we were talking to the young men and women from, the, you know, in the Ontario cycling community. And we were saying for them being at this camp, they have so many resources available to them. You know, they have Peter who can look at power files and explain how to use training peaks and show them charts and stuff. Um, you know, that they don't normally get access to. And I'm there teaching yoga and there's a nutritionist on call and, you know. Well, just, we had a mechanic and yeah. Yeah. So really kind of thinking about all of the ways you can take advantage of the camp and the, the skills of the various people who are hosting it. Mm -hmm. So I would, I mean, if you're going to a bigger camp, like not ours, obviously, if you're going to our camp, you know who we are. Uh, but if you're going to a bigger one, a lot of the time you don't really look at the staff page that closely. I've definitely been to a few where... I got there and I was like, oh, okay, there, there is a yoga instructor. Oh, that's that's cool, I guess. And looking back, I'm like, I wish I'd looked at the staff list ahead of time and kind of made up some questions and thought about things I wanted to get out of it. Yeah, I don't know what else. I think, you know, expecting that you're going to feel tired and it come come and go day to day. And, you know, it's it's not a race. Like, I think when you used to talk about your goals for the camp, it's often, you know, there's some people are not prepared for the competition and, you know, I don't think you even need to compete, right? But you need to be prepared that you might have to climb at your own pace some days. And often it's some of the fittest people are just, they just are like, you know, they're the ones getting quote unquote dropped, but you know, they get to the top of the climb and they're not so far behind, but they're just staying in their own training zones. Right. And it's funny at camps that often we forget about this, you know, and just sort of like go with the competition, which may or may not be a good choice. But at some point, you know, just drilling it and coming out of your, you know, going over your limits at some point in the camp, this ends up biting people. Right. And so the, the question's always just like a race. If you're completely extending yourselves every day, are you the person who ends up with knee pain, who ends up with sick or ends up just you're just understandably tired? Like you've essentially just like in a race, you get to mile 70 of a hundred and you've been overextending yourself. Are you the person that falls off the group and, you know, so to speak, and in the camp has to take the last two days off, right? Or, or ride in the short group or whatever, right? Yeah. So I think it's thinking about an individual climb isn't a race, but thinking about what you need, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then the last thing for anyone heading to a training camp is the thing we always said at uh, the quest camp that we did with Ellen Noble, which is advocate for yourself. Um, it's really easy to be in a training camp environment, especially a bigger training camp where, you know, it's you plus, you know, 20 other riders or something. And, you know, you, you might need a day off or might be feeling really tired or might want to go with the shorter group or might want to try the longer group. Um, but a lot of the time the coaches can't, can't read your mind and just might not have any idea how you're feeling. So if you feel like there's a thing you need, you know, advocate for yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, whether it's roots or again, like Molly says, you know, you need to stop to go to the washroom or more washroom breaks. Definitely the washroom breaks. Sometimes it's just yeah, like you need something a little different, and you don't have to whine. But sometimes just you know, we don't realize that you know you need an extra washroom break in the day, or you know, an earlier one, or. Thankfully, I will always know that people need bathroom breaks because I will take plenty of Fair them. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's definitely a good one. And I think in line with the the longer events, um, you know, I just personally, I'm of the, at a training camp, you know, I get what I need and I've never been on the side of like, I need to do the most epic longest rides um, because I like to be there, you know, at those critical moments, you know, the, the harder climbs, the... Um, you know, just there every day, right? And I, I don't like to go super deep very often as far as duration, um, just because it's more more reps, right? More wear and tear, um, you know, and I also like to be home and eating meals and walking around and napping or early to bed. So pick your poison, but I think taking that same thing as we talked about with events as far as just a bit, bit of caution with the, the volume. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and last question. Uh, from some of our friends in Ontario who just got, I think, 40 centimeters of snow in the past week, getting through this awful, awful time of year, March, where one day you can ride your gravel bike outside on trails and there's green grass popping up. And then the next day you have two feet of snow outside of your house. Yep. It's a tough time of year, I think, for a lot of a lot of areas, right? They're still battling with rain. You know, even here in Girona, we've been very lucky with weather, I think, this winter. You knock on wood. We still have two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, you know, there's going to be colder gray days and, war, uh, you know, grayer days, cloudier days, rain. Uh, there was hail this morning while I was out on my gravel ride. I was conveniently in the middle of a muddy field, and it started raining and hailing on me. So I think you have to roll with the punches, right? I think that's where being able to cross train, you know, and not putting away if you're a ski, you know, I saw in Ontario, a lot of people did get out skiing and you could ski in more places. So just being ready to pivot with that, right? And that's why with my clients, I'm always pushing that we're able to do some sort of like walking, running, pull running. I got pushed onto a few more people. I got more people doing it, pushed to get more people doing it this year. Um, but there's, there's so many different things you can do, right? Even the gym, right? Uh, we're still in that time of the year where doing the gym, I think is, is good. And you just utilize that. The one trick I've been, I like to sort of implement come February, March is for those on the trainer, you know, now that you've got your Zwift screen or your, whatever you're onto on your one screen and you've got a movie on the other, and then another one of like something else going on, like Instagram feed. So you can, I don't know, TikTok yeah, or I don't story know. It just seems like every day I see someone with like three to four screens going on the trainer and I'm just like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if we need, like, maybe we just go back to listening to music save on all the subscription fees and so forth. Anyway. So um, what I try and push people to do, you know, now the, the, the novelty, I guess what I'm trying to say is the novelty of all these things is wearing off. Um, you know, you've been doing it for two, three, four months. What you can do is you can get on and off your bike and start incorporating like some, some circuit training, right? You choose how you do it. It could be with some intensity. It could just be endurance riding on the bike and just moving steady through a circuit. You know, it could be a sprint or something, some sort of interval on the bike, jump off and do a little more high intensity, you know, whatever your ability, whatever your goals are. But I think this like what the, this what in the studies they're calling high intensity functional training, which often sort of pulls in some CrossFit type stuff. Hift. Hift. Uh, so as opposed to your high intensity interval training, this is high intensity functional training. 
And so it's sort of just like CrossFit, right? We can row and then we do some burpees and then we do some squats, right? And so again, it doesn't have to be a lot of equipment. It's probably better if it's not because then it's less dangerous and you're not going to throw your back out. But what I've always liked, Steve and I used to do a bunch of this stuff back, um, what would that be, like 2007 or something? This is Steve Neal, who's Steve been on Neal. the podcast twice now. Yep, Strength and Cycling, and he's got the Cycling Gym in, in uh, Toronto. Uh, if you, I don't know if they do stuff like that or not, but they definitely do strength and they do cycling, um, as per the name. Where was I going with that? So you're going to hop on and off your bike. And what I like about this is, especially for the mountain bikers, but for everyone, we're trying to trick you into doing some cross training where you got more muscle mass working. You have more blood pumping through your body. So the heart's like, holy crap, we're using more muscles than just those legs. So your heart's working a bunch. And then also for your brain, it's not nearly as boring as sitting there, whether you stare at the wall like I do, or you stare at Zwift and whatever the other two screens do. We're trying to get a little bit more mental stimulation here, right? You could say, you know, you can imagine this is almost like going down a downhill on your mountain bike. You work really hard on your mountain bike for two or three minutes, five minutes, whatever, jump off, do a circuit, however long, whatever you want it to be. It could be sort of like what you've been doing in the gym or for your core routine. Uh, earlier in this podcast, we're going to link to the yoga and core stuff. So it could be yoga. It could be some of that anywhere core that we'll link to in the podcast from the first question. Uh, and you just cycle through that. So I would say start with three and build it up wherever you have to go as far as volume, right? And that could be 30 minute warm up, an hour of this sort of circuit training back and forth, 30 minute cool down. That's an hour workout, uh, two hour workout <laughs> for, oh the, for those with the math. Uh, so yeah, anyhow, I think that would be, if you're looking for like a, a new trick to add as far as training, I would give that a try. And I think you'll be pretty happy almost irregardless of goals. Yeah, I think the other thing just when the weather's so up and down is just to not panic and not let it completely just like bum you out or stress you out that, you know, your training is just kind of on this a bit of like an up, down, up, down sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, my good friend actually back in Collingwood just PR'd her 5K time like in an amazing race. And, you know, she's been snowed in for the last two months and is still, yep. you know, has done just enough work running outside. Actually, I don't think she even gets on the treadmill. Um, has done enough to you know get through and it makes still you makes you hard and i think again to this volume discussion you know for a lot of us who are doing you know the busy people i like to work with in my coaching we the volume if you try and push the volume on top of everything else then it gets tricky but even just again we're we're all older with a lot of other stuff going hey, on hey hey and so there is like just a limit of how much you need to actually ride your bike or run and some of these other things, these cross training, the strength training, you know, making sure that you are getting to bed when you don't have these options can be really good. I have one client who's not that old and he has come from doing a lot of road volume, you know, going down to training camps for a lot of the winter, if not all of the winter. And now he's back and he's, you know, working on school and working um, and he's been doing a lot of trainer. He rides outside a fair bit and runs a bit and does a bit of gym stuff. But I, he keeps getting fitter. The last two years, I think, have by far been his best years. Um, and he's still doing long events, like some of these big, long gravel right. grind. He's going to do Kansas this year. So I think don't, I wouldn't, like when you're looking on Instagram and everyone's doing volume and Molly's got her Girona photos there, don't assume that it's always greener on the other side, right? There is a upside to you having a focus and some variety, you know, routine it's true. And shout out to Collingwood. I do miss home. So yeah, grass is always greener. 
Well, or covered in a foot of snow. Yeah, or covered in a foot of snow. Okay. Anyway, I think we'll we'll leave it there for this week. Um, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. You can shoot us questions, comments, concerns, etc. over at consummateathlete.com. That's also where the show notes can be found. Or you can hunt us down on social media. I'm at Molly J. Herford, and Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thanks so much for listening. And if you get a second and you can subscribe, rate, review, that's super helpful for us. And otherwise, we will see you next week. 